Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. What's up? What's up? Happy Tuesday, Heritage Radio Network. It's Kimberly Chow of Food Book Fair, one of the co-directors of the fair and one of your co-hosts of Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair, where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to amongst ourselves, with our family and friends, in and around the food world. Not always about food. Uh, my uh, co-captain, Amanda Dells, out of the office, out of the booth today, but I'm joined by the lovely and wonderful... Gabrielle Etienne, a culinary creative, uh, someone with a passion for fashion. We both love a good natural highlighter, a head wrap. We love to read Mm -hmm. and share food together. And now she's in the booth with me today. Hey, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So glad you're here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about you? Perhaps you know her from Instagram or the events that she does (laughs) or the folks that she works with, uh, but she could tell you herself. Okay. Well, let's hop in, I guess. Um, Go for it. Well, I, as she said, am a culinary creative, which can mean a billion things, but basically I just create really cool content for different um, chefs, for different brands. And for my own brand, which is Etienne Eats, and uh, I develop recipes, but I have a history in fashion design, so I end up doing a lot of custom fashion things as well, which is always fun. Um, And yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, I do a lot of stuff, but we're going to leave it there for now. (laughs) That's a good start. (laughs) Okay, Um, cool. That's good to, I think we all, uh, a lot of the people that um, these days that I kick it with all do a lot Girl, of stuff. 20 hands. <laughs> 20 seriously. Hands. And 40 I don't hats. know. We got to stop calling it like the side hustle, main hustle, whatever, because it's just like it's just multiple. That's just, it's the, just the life of a creative. Like I've been talking mm-hmm. to people about like how I hate when people ask me, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, well, uh, do you really want to have this conversation <laughs> right now? <laughs> but yeah, we're so multifaceted multifaceted as creatives Mm -hmm. that it's just it's the list goes on and on and on so in your multi facets Mm -hmm. can you uh fill us in a little bit on what you've been reading watching or listening to oh sure yes um well we actually met at food book fair during a a special edition of literary swag book club with our mutual friend yadan israel and the inimitable dr jessica v harris for her book my soul looks back so we have a literary beginning a literary meet cute literary bond of sorts that was a fabulous amazing like moment um where she was very candid and like shared some really awesome stuff so um, what I'm reading right now is Shameless Plug, Crop Stories. Awesome. First recipe just got published in there. Congratulations. Thank what's you. your recipe in there? I did, um, what's a sweet potato issue? 
So I did a mm. Haitian style sweet potato okra, oh, cool. which is like a fritter with, they usually make it with malanga. I made it with the sweet potatoes grated mm-hmm. and some hot pepper. That sounds and delicious. girl, so good. How do we get a copy? Uh, shout out to Crop Stories. Shout out Andre Gallant, uh, Nicole, the amazing Nicole A. Taylor. <laughs> she um, actually put me on to crop stories oh you got it right there that is beautiful isn't it pretty I love um, the art. for those that can't see into the booth Man. because you're not inside <laughs> roberta's restaurant and Sorry, beautiful y'all. sunny bushwick brooklyn today you can get a copy of this but we are looking at the brand new crop stories it's got sweet potatoes with the roots on it yes. it's real beautiful so pretty andre yeah. nicole and team congrats yes beautiful one of our favorite issue. foodie articles food magazines <laughs> Very cool. So um, definitely reading that. Just got this issue this morning. So, you know, I've been like excited That's all awesome. day. I love that. <laughs> I love when it feels fresh and you can smell the new printing yes. chemical smell. <laughs> yes, I'm getting high off of those as we speak. Um, but also the Jemima code. Oh, yeah. That's been on my list for a long time. Girl, seriously making my way through it right now. It's incredible. Just archives of so many amazing um, black cookbooks throughout history mm. and the power within the the women in the kitchen yeah. um, taking that kind of like mammy um, persona away and really respecting them for the creatives mm. that they were and giving them the credit they deserve um, along with other things. That's amazing. Yes. Tony Martin Tipton. Beautiful Tony. book and illustrated beautifully and... Just the the cover art alone on the mm-hmm. books is really amazing. Wow. Um, shall I go on? Or? Sure. Oh, okay. I, I always love hearing about <laughs> other people's reading. Um, and then, so my friend, Chef JJ, mm-hmm. who I work with um, quite a bit, he actually loaned me a book like six months ago. And I have been in and out of it since he gave it to me mm-hmm. called Black Rice. Ooh. Have What's you it read about? Black no, Girl? I haven't. Girl. And that's J.J. Johnson. Oh, Chef J.J. Johnson. Yes, he cooks the food of the African diaspora. He's mm-hmm. an incredible chef. Um, and we were doing some rice research mm-hmm. for uh, this thing we did with the Culinary Institute of America called Worlds of Flavor. Mm-hmm. And so within that, he was like, oh, yeah, you should read this book. And when he gave it to me, I was like, oh, I'm excited because rice is, it doesn't sound like it would be exciting, but it's actually really interesting. Like the yeah. history of rice. Yo, I'm Taiwanese. You don't got to tell me that rice is exciting. I need to eat it every day. Yes. I'm always talking about how, um, you know, I always feel best. Eat, like, I always joke that there should be a cookbook called Eat for Your Ethnic Type. But I think there actually have been. But, uh, like, yeah. when I eat rice, I, like, feel, like, mm. the yellow power in my yes. veins. But rice is, rice is a worldwide, multi-diasporic I feel like that food. when I eat cornbread. There you go. I'm from the South. Maybe <laughs> that's why. <laughs> but yeah, um, black rice is about African origins of rice, mm-hmm. which we don't hear about often. But mm-hmm. um, one of the mother grains is Oriza glabarima, which mm-hmm. is uh, this red colored, very nutty, beautiful rice. Yeah. Very rare, hard to find. Um, but apparently it is being grown. That's amazing. Um, shout out to Anson Mills. Glenn, uh, Glenn Roberts, Glenn Roberts doing the work doing down there. Awesome work. Yeah. Um, and Chef BJ Dennis also doing some mm-hmm. awesome things with this rice. Um, but it's being grown in Trinidad, 
Um, wow. And dryland rice, too. You mm-hmm. don't even need, like, a marshy patty for it. Whoa. So it's really incredible stuff. I'm going to get you a sample. Okay. You got to get, you. I got to get, write these books down. Yeah, as, I got um, you. To add to my own list. But um, yeah. I've talked about this on the show a few times, and we also had him at Food Book Fair 2017. But I just finished reading Michael Twitty's The Cooking Gene, <gasps> oh, which I can't recommend enough. Oh, my God. Which, of course, JJ is in, yes. talking about rice yes. and talking about how all foods west of West Africa, is that the correct direction? Yes, came <laughs> from West Africa. Yes. So incredible. I've yet to read. Talks Ooh. a lot about rice. I know. I know. And I've seen um, Mr. Twitty at quite a few. Actually, I saw him at your event, mm-hmm. too. Um, and he always jokes that we're cousins, which I wish I was your cousin, Michael. That would Maybe be amazing. <laughs> Maybe we are cousins somewhere down the line. But I've been meaning to get that book. It's definitely on the yeah. list. Yes. Yeah. Um, ooh, lots of good stuff to read. I actually went to uh, a live event last night, uh, Pop-Up Magazine, which was at Lincoln Center. And it's something I've been meaning to go to for a while, Pop-Up Magazine, which is connected to California Sunday Magazine, which is a print magazine. Pop-Up Magazine is... For those mostly on the East Coast who don't know, because it's mostly a West Coast thing, but they now tour all over and they're doing really well. Uh, It's a live event where people basically perform Mm. different articles. There's music. There was an amazing essay about living with HIV and taking drugs that give you crazy vivid dreams Mm. by this one writer that uh, instead of a... It was accompanied by music, but also by a dance performance. Okay. Um, And then beautiful videography as well. So Mm. that was really amazing. There were writers, including Kurt Anderson and Aparna Nancherla, doing readings um, of stories all over the place. There was a really particular one, um, a writer I really have loved for a long time, Cord Jefferson, he did this piece about how our generation, the millennial generation, mm-hmm. has killed many things, including voicemail. Oh, Lord. But um, <laughs> so true. talking about his mom getting sick and passing and listening to long, rambling voicemails of hers that she used, oh. he used to always fast forward through. And I was like, I have to call my mom Oh, now. my God. Um, pretty amazing. That stuff. is amazing. Um, and some friends that I was there with and had met there said uh, it, it might be part of us being part of the podcast generation, being used to hearing stories mm-hmm. sort of narrated or read out loud. But I think there's just something really special in general, which is not something you always get to experience of writers reading their own work. Mm-hmm. And not every writer is a great reader of no, their own work, no. but everyone there was really, really amazing. That is so awesome. Yeah, yes. so that was, I highly recommend checking that out. And I've been meaning to go for years now and glad to... Check it off the list. Yeah, yes. uh, hopefully to, to engage with that more and more. Yes. But that's a, that's a live version of some reading that I experienced recently. You just made me want to call my mama. You should. <laughs> Everyone should call their mom. I always fast forward. I always, I'm like, oh, my mom called, Lord. Let me call this woman tomorrow. Or, you know, now the iPhone has the auto transcription yeah you just read the text i'm like making sure it's not an emergency delete i'm good uh cord even talks about that in his piece really yeah okay i think they do record this but every single event is different because they have different uh readers different writers different performers at Mm -hmm. every uh stop that they make and the next one's in washington dc so dc folks look out for pop-up magazine coming your way soon um but I do think that they record it, though I kind of love the idea of something only 
existing in the form of its performance mm-hmm. that night only. Oh yeah. But I also understand as a writer and someone who curates and creates content why and has people to would make want a it to, to yes. yeah and has to make a living. <laughs> why someone would want your best work recorded yes. and have some sort of posterity. Mm-hmm. So there's that's that. Always nice. Um, so that's sort of been um, what's been on my mind, and mm-hmm. I have their print magazine that I've been reading on the on the subway. Uh, just read an article about Mormon women protesting against Trump mm-hmm. and their ability and their power to do that in Utah, because as they say, you know, if we're protesting, people don't come at us with billy clubs. People don't really suspect us Mm. or worry about us because we represent wholesomeness and this sort of like feminine ideal of feminineness. (laughs) Um, But about uh, Mormon women activists and then this piece about what it's like to um, be homeless and go to college. Oh, wow. Or try to. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. Wow. So that's the latest issue of California Sunday. A lot of chew on. I need to hop on that. So we'll we'll trade during our commercial break. But first, we're going to take a little break because we got to keep the lights on here, as mm-hmm. Amanda Dell, my co-host, my usual co-host, likes to say. And then Gabby Etienne and I will come back mm-hmm. on um, after the pause. And we'll be back with Amy Emberling and Frank Carollo, master bakers, co-owners of Zingerman's Bakehouse, one of the very best artisanal bakeries and magic wonderlands there mm, is okay. uh, shout out to ann arbor michigan and part of the zingerman's community of businesses and they'll be on with us talking about their brand new cookbook the 25th anniversary of the big house and what they're reading and watching as well talk to you guys in a bit of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hey, we're back. This is Kimberly Chow, one of the directors of Food Book Fair, one of the co-hosts of Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair, our weekly show Tuesdays at 2 p.m. and later and in perpetuity on the internet, on iTunes and Stitcher, on Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to in and around the food world with our friends in and around in and around the food world. I am joined in the studio today with a guest co-host, Gabby Etienne. Hello, hello. Welcome hello, back. Hello, hello. Yes. And we're about to welcome on our guests from Zingerman's Bakehouse, master bakers and co-owners of the Bakehouse, and now new authors of Zingerman's Bakehouse, the cookbook, Amy 
Emmerling and Frank Carello. Hello. Hi. Are you here from Ann Arbor? <laughs> hey, how are you? Hi. Welcome, welcome. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Amy. Hi, Frank. Welcome. We wish we were eating uh, your blueberry buckle mm, and please. sour coffee, sour cream coffee cake <laughs> right now. Really? I, uh, oh, you, you wish you were, or we you wish. are eating it? If only we were, well, we had, I like, wish. time to mail order so that we could get it in the <laughs> studio when we were calling you. Yes. But another time. Uh, yeah. I went to school in Ann Arbor, so oh. I think fondly of uh, buying your baked goods. Mm. When did you go to school here? I was there from 2005 to 2009. Okay. Yeah, so I remember the, the 25th anniversary of the Delicatessen, Zingerman's Delicatessen, best deli in the country. Um, and so a big congratulations to the Bakehouse on his 25th anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And congratulations on the book as well. Was this something that had been in the works for a while? Well, probably at least seven years. Five years before we even started it, we actually sent an email to the publisher, but we didn't do anything after that. <laughs> we got a little distracted, and then we started working on it a couple of years ago because we thought it would be a nice thing to have for the 25th anniversary. Definitely. And I know this is, a, this, is, uh, this is sort of the first time that you've shared a lot of these recipes that people are really crazy for. Uh, I always... Uh, I always talk to my friends that fly frequently through the Detroit Metro Airport about going, just like having a little bit of a taste and getting the sugar crisp muffins from um, the Zingerman stand uh, in the airport and being really thankful when I'm traveling that that exists. So thank well, you, thank you. <laughs> that, uh, for your presence over there. Um, what are some favorite recipes that you knew you had to share when you were working on this book? Or were there any requests? Were there any ones brought back from your 25-year history? Well, here's the thing. We make about 250 different things and uh, baked goods, and we've been teaching nearly all of them uh, for about the past 11 and a half years in our mm -hmm. baking school. And when we thought about this book, we figured, well, let's, try to look at what are the most popular items that we make and then sort of layered on top of that are what are Amy and my sort of personal favorites mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. may not be popular but still mean a lot to each of us. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, and then uh, Chronicle Books helped us, uh, well actually they whittled it down to 65 recipes that made the cut. But there were, we hadn't uh, really published the sour cream coffee cake recipe, so that was sort of a big deal and uh, to put it out there. And we, for some reason, I had a little bit of weirdness about the pecan pie recipe. I don't know, some personal attachment to it. So <laughs> about we sharing it? I hadn't taught that one yet either. So um, those are the two that have most definitely not been out there. Okay. Well, let's keep people ordering those pecan pies and sour cream coffee yes. cakes in mail order. <laughs> Thank that you. sounds amazing. Because I know people order them from all over the country. I'm sure they get shipped all over the globe as mm -hmm. well. You bet. Um, what are, can you tell us some of your favorite recipes that have made the cut? Um, well, I love some really traditional, typical things, and one of them that's in here is the Boston cream pie. It's just such a yes. classic combination of chocolate and vanilla, and it's got some incredible pastry cream in it, and then, you know, really good ganache on the top, not, you know, some kind of waxy 
coating, but it's mm-hmm. made out of really great chocolate and, and a really nice light chiffon cake. So that's like one of my favorites that's in the book. I don't know about Frank here. Oh, probably the chestnut baguette. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I think you're just going to hear a lot of, ooh, ah, no. like all this Michigan on that. So it's got some great high extraction flour that's grown wow. in northern Michigan. And then uh, some chestnuts, uh, chestnut flour that's grown in the western part of the state that makes uh, sort of a beautiful purple colored crumb. Oh, wow. We make a baguette with it, and it's uh, absolutely delicious with a little cheese and a couple of drops of honey on that. It's a real go-to and (laughs) with the weather changing it's the perfect autumn loaf to take to a party. Frank, I heard from your girlfriend that you take it home every weekend, is that right? Uh, That's not uh, absolutely accurate. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. That sounds like a really good partner offering, though, to take it it home every weekend. That's I sweet. think so. I, I'm surprised that he doesn't do it. He <laughs> well, now that this is on the record and on the radio, we may have to pick up that practice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I have to get the frequency up to every weekend. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other recommendations? Do you have any other <laughs> recommendations? As you were saying, now that the weather is changing, something that people can make to conjure. The spirit of fall, seasonal change, Thanksgiving things that too. Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. things that uh, use seasonal ingredients. Sure, absolutely. I mean, one thing that I that some of the recipes that we put in the book are kind of regional mm-hmm. to Michigan, and which we thought might be interesting for the rest of the um, country. And so, Cornish pasties are big in the Upper Peninsula in um, in Michigan, and they're a great fall thing. So it's like a hand pie. Um, and it can have meat and rutabaga in it and onions and other vegetables. And uh, we also make one that's vegetarian. So there's a recipe in the book for that. And we always make them every fall here at the bakery, and customers start asking for them in August. So that would be a great one. Wow. And I already mentioned pecan pie, but a really good pie to make for Thanksgiving is chocolate chest pie. Because oh, yeah. sometimes there are people who come for Thanksgiving who really just want chocolate for dessert. And if you want to keep in the Thanksgiving spirit of making pie, then this is the perfect combination of pie and chocolate. So I highly recommend that. It turns out it was the first thing that first recipe my daughter made out of the book once I gave it gave it to her. So mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Yeah, I usually um, <laughs> hop on the sweet potato pie. Of course, that's a classic. But um, yeah. I might try that chocolate chest pie this year. Yeah, go for it. You Maybe know? Try. Yeah. yeah, switch it up. That might be nice. Okay. Can you tell us, so Cornish pasties, I don't think I've had no. a Cornish pasty since the last time I was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, but they're super delicious, the OG Midwestern hand pie. <laughs> what are some other regional treats that you can uh, tell our listeners all over the country? I think maybe... There are some things that I'm so used to being from Michigan, but there are a lot of really great treasures that most folks don't know about. Yeah, and when you said that, my face was like, what is a Cornish what now? So this will be good for people like me who haven't actually been to the area. Um, Yes, please share. So uh, I I didn't hear the question. Are you asking about Michigan or other regional specialties? Yes, Michigan. Michigan uh, specialties. I think uh, we have a recipe in here for Detroit-style 
Pizza, Ooh. which uh, there's a, a place named Buddy's in Detroit that started in uh, the mid-40s, and they make a, uh, it's a deep dish. Gabby just got out our notebook. Pizza <laughs> with, uh, that's made in a, a blue steel pan that gives the sort of fries the cheese that is laid. Uh, actually, the sauce is on top of the cheese. Nice and thick and crispy and everybody gets uh, a good chunk of the crust mm -hmm. and I think that's a great recipe that uh, signifies actually Detroit. I can't right. wait to try that one out. Wow. Same. Yeah. Peeps, I think it's been one of the most popular recipes in the book when we've spoken to people who hadn't seen the book before. They, everybody keeps asking about Detroit-style pizza and I think Detroit doesn't get enough you know, recognition for its pizza so it's nice to get it out there. Yes. We also have um, punchki in um, the book, and so that's a Polish-filled do donut, and they're mm. really big here in Michigan on Fat Tuesday because there's a large um, Polish community in a in a city that's sort of surrounded by Detroit, and it's called, called Hamtramck. And so every Fat Tuesday, you'll see the kind of TV people, the local TV people online showing the lines of people um, trying to buy punchki, and we make them here at the bakery too. So there's a really good recipe in there. The, the kind of the secret to making great punchki is having this alcohol in it that's called spiritus. It's okay. a Polish alcohol, and it, it helps to keep the dough from absorbing a lot of fat mm. when you fry it. I, I think those are the three biggest kind of Michigan things that we put in the book, the pizza, the pasty, and the punchki, which is funny. They all start with P. <laughs> those are pretty yes. quintessentially Michigan. For our listeners who are not familiar with punchki, it's spelled P-A-C-Z-K-I. Why was I just about to ask how you spell that? Because you don't even want to know what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> learning. This is what you get for learning about punchki on the yes. radio. But um, those are super delicious. Um, I'm excited. So we're going to Detroit. We're coming, guys. We're coming to Detroit. Please prepare. Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll go to we'll go to Buddy's <laughs> together. So yes. uh, where we record in the back of Roberta's Pizza, which does um, a wood fired sort of Neapolitan style, thin, chewy crust, blistered mm -hmm. crust pizza. Um, but there are, and we would love to. We wish you were in the studio with us today. Yes. Um, but really, Detroit style pizza, I think, is underrated. Does it take the cake? I love Detroit style pizza because yeah, I love a I love a crispy crust. Yeah, me too. I'm a crispy crust girl. But how do you keep the so how do we keep the cheese from burning or getting too crispy? Is mm. there a trick to it, or is it about the pan? Tell us your secrets. Yeah, I think I think the pan uh, helps it. It's uh, I don't know if I was clear enough, but it's not a thin and crispy crust. It's a thick. It's a thick crust. crust. Yes, Ooh. and and actually. If we went farther back than the mid-40s, it's actually based on uh, Sicilian pizza called Finjuni, which you all mm. can find uh, in several places in New York City. Okay. Because, uh, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, there was a pretty large Sicilian community, a little Italian ghetto, and uh, I, I grew up, I'm a Sicilian heritage uh, from the city of Detroit, and I grew up with a relative whose role was to bring Svinjuni to every family gathering. Mm. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't understand it because it had uh, the thick tomato sauce and anchovies on the top, and I was used to, you know, cheese on top. But, mm -hmm. uh, 
Wow. Something I've grown to identify with and really, really love. Mm. Yes, I'm an anchovy girl, too. A lot of people can't get with the anchovies, but I'm all the way there. <laughs> Me too. So hard cosign from both of us over here. Yes. Did your family's Ben Juni recipe, Frank, influence the one you make now for Detroit style pizza? Or are there any other family recipes that have no, gone into your This baking? isn't my family's recipe, uh, but uh, it was one developed by the man who uh, ran our baking school for uh, three or four years, who also grew up in... Detroit, and he had a really uh, intense and passionate connection with uh, Buddies, and uh, that was his heritage. And as I watched it happen, I realized it was uh, sort of parallel to uh, my my growing up with Finjuni. Mm. Nice. I like those. I like that cross cultural, multi generational dialogue. I'm all about it. Heritage, anything, legacy food. I mean, you are going to pass those things down and share them with others. You just shared it with me, and now I'm going to pass it down. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. And Junie. Okay. What was the process like of whittling down? I mean, I mean, that's one of the great things about having editors, but it's also probably difficult to pick favorites. What was the process like of whittling down all these many, many recipes that you guys have made over the years? And also not just made over the years, but just what you produce out of the bakehouse day to day. You just have such an incredible selection. I wish there was a visual to this audio component so our listeners could see <laughs> what the case looks like on a regular day. Yeah, well, I think, you know, some of what we're making is a, is a vestige of sort of the history of the bakehouse. So we started with the Zingerman's Delicatessen as our primary customer. Mm -hmm. And since the Delicatessen began as a Jewish deli, it made sense that we made the quintessential Jewish breads like uh, Jewish rye bread and challah. So those were, you know, critical parts of our repertoire. And then some of the Jewish cookies and pastries that went along with it. So people will find those items in the book also. So people are hardcore deli people, they can get what they want. Um, and then we started making hearth-baked breads, and so really the bakehouse started as a, you know, an artisanal bread bakery. Mm. And so we, we made the, you know, kind of quintessential breads of Western Europe, uh, really primarily France and Italy. And then over the years, the way we developed things was often just sort of like items that we all loved, either things that we remembered from our childhood that you couldn't get anymore, so we wanted to recreate, or items that we had discovered when we were traveling. We thought, God, wouldn't it be great if we could um, make them for our customers? Then as things went on and we found that we had too many things, we just sometimes uh, put things, what we call it, is on vacation. So they go away for a number of months at a time, and then we bring them back for short periods. And, and then people have something to look forward to. We obviously, you know, kind of bake seasonally, too, so not everything is in – we're not making everything all at the same time. Mm -hmm. for, but for the book, you know, we just sort of – we look. We have lots of data here at the bakehouse, and so we kind of, we're pretty clear on what the customers buy, and we make sure that we covered – those um, big sellers first, and then we chose recipes that we thought were interesting or that we particularly loved. What are some big house fan favorites? Fan favorites? If uh, you can, if you can share that data. Sure. <laughs> that's if that's allowed. <laughs> we shared all the recipes. We can share the data. Well, farm bread, which is uh, in the book, is one of the biggest selling breads. 
our scones are all in the book, and they're mm. huge sellers. Magic brownies, classic from the beginning days of Zingerman's Delicatessen are in the book. We sell thousands of them a year. All of our coffee cakes are in the book, the biggest flavors. Some customers have been looking for the recipe for our gingerbread, and we're kind of surprised because it's not the biggest seller, but maybe we'll have to come out with the, another book. And then there's this um, kind of sort of unusual bread called Shomo di Kolach. If you have the book, in you, it's on page 211. Okay. And it's uh, something that we learned in Transylvania, and it's become a huge hit. Uh, we, only, we make it the months that Easter lands, and we make it all the months that month, and then we make it a few weekends a year. But, I mean, people go crazy over it. So those are some of the, the big hitters. Oh, my God, that sounds amazing. So quick question. I heard you say Transylvania now. You're inspired by Sicilian cooking. Are you guys at all familiar with um, Cucina Povera and the Puglian, like, old kitchens and the way that they did uh, Grano Arso, which is the burnt uh, wheat flour, and they would make the gray bread? Have you guys heard of that at all? Well, I, I just read about... Uh about the fields burning and the wheat coming out of those fields. Yes. Just, uh, in the last week have I read about that online, and it made me want to, there was a recipe that uh, you could take flour and uh, throw it in the oven and, and then make pasta with it. Yes. Um, so that's and the first. I haven't had a, a chance to experiment with that, but it sounded really fascinating to me. Oh, my God. Yes, that would be incredible. I want to go to Puglia just so I can, like, get some gray. And it turns out this beautiful gray color. So the bread they were making is, like, this gorgeous gray. Mm. And the pasta is this gorgeous gray. And, of course, it's Puglia, so they're doing, like, orchette, which is, like, yeah. already beautiful. Yes. So if you guys do that, please let me know because then I'm definitely I'll, coming. I will. I'll take some <laughs> photographs and send them to you. Okay, that please great. do. <laughs> And then um, as we wind our way toward the end of the show, we always talk to our guests about what is on their nightstands, what's in their playlist mm. or podcast queue. Is there anything that you listen to while you're doing R&D or mm. when you're in the office or testing recipes? Or is there anything that you can't wait to get to in terms of reading or watching Ooh, when you're in the big <laughs> house? <laughs> Well, I've been um, binge-watching Transparent, if uh, you really want to know the truth. My husband can't stand it, though, so I have to watch <laughs> it on my own. Have you watched that show? No, I hear it's amazing. I wish uh, <laughs> my usual co-host Amanda was in the studio today because it's her favorite show. Oh, oh wow. that's funny. Well, it's a bit, it makes me cringe, but I still can't help watching the next episode. So... <laughs> And then in the spirit of that, is none of these are food books, because when I go home, I need to do something not related to food. Oh, we hear you. It's called The All or Nothing Marriage. I don't know if you've heard about it. Mm -mm. No, what's that about? Well, it's about, you know, how to make, um, you know, how to have a relationship that's uh, really successful and, and happy. The first part of the book is kind of about the history of marriage, uh, and the second part is a little bit more how to... I was written by a professor at um, Northwestern. I have a secret um, goal, but now it's going to be on national radio, so it won't be a secret, to be a marriage counselor. Ooh, tell us more. That, you know, <laughs> I'm going to prepare myself, and then when I turn 60, which is in nine years, maybe I'll be ready to do it. Okay. That's a nice... <laughs> we were just talking about hustles and side hustles yes. earlier in the Get show. So this hustle. is... That's incredible. There's your goal. 
we're gonna we're gonna check in with you. Yeah. Hopefully before Hopefully. nine years, so we can go get that pizza <laughs> and that gray okay. bread. But yes. What about you, Frank? Well, let's see. I've been uh, actually. It's hard to pull away from watching the Talking Heads on uh, CNN, unfortunately. And then mm. uh, I have been watching a series on Netflix, uh, Borgia, and mm. I've become obsessed with uh, 1492 for about the next 35 years and the uh, papacy of uh, Borgia. Is this the one family, starring Jeremy and Irons? And crazy life. And, and actually, I think it's going to make me go to Spain in the spring. That's yes, go to next Spain. Trip I'm, I'm, play, I'm planning. Yeah. Mm. Ooh. Love Spain. Like Let that media inspire it. you. And then you have a great reason to do some R&D and travel right. and eat. Yes. And I have to say, if you go to Spain, please. Girona is so gorgeous. And I don't know um, if you watch Game of Thrones. I don't. <laughs> but I was told it was filmed there. Um, so there's uh -huh. a reference point. Um, but it's absolutely beautiful. I did not want to leave. And it's only 45 minutes from Barcelona. Oh, so. well, thanks for the heads up and the oh, hint. Yes. Oh, yes. Please enjoy. And then just uh, a couple other questions. Were there any other um, baking books or baking materials that inspired you for this book or sort of led your way? I know you guys are very, um, y'all do your own thing, which we really love and respect. But mm -hmm. just wondering if there was anything out there that sort of inspired you in your process. Oh, well, I mean, we love um, many of the American bakers, so we, we speak about and look up, refer use references to, like, Jeffrey Hamelman mm -hmm. all the time. And I thought I really enjoy um, Otto Lange's books. They're beautiful, and I use his recipes. So, you know, they can be inspiring just to kind of – it may not be about baking per se, although he has his new book out, but just about how to make really delicious oh, yeah. food. Um so those are a couple that come to mind to me immediately. Mm. What about you, Frank? Well, you know, it's funny. In 20, 25 years ago, there, were, there was very, very little literature out there about uh, baking, and there was a book that we originally uh, read, The Village Baker by Joe Ortiz, and I think uh, he owns Gale's Bakery in California, and they're still going, so... That was really an inspiration as a baker and uh, something that I thought about two years ago when we started writing this book. Mm. Well, baking, artisanal baking, baking in the States has changed so much since y'all got started and, and the baking literature as well. And we're so glad that you're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Bakehouse and that you are adding a book to the canon as well. Congratulations again. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. This has yeah, been such a delicious conversation. <laughs> We're really hungry now. Punchki, yes. Coming <laughs> back for that punchki. Maybe a little yes. bit before for, for Buddy's Pizza, which really does mm. have a lot of devotees. But just wanted to thank you again, Amy and Frank, for joining us and calling in today. Okay, thanks for having us. <laughs> Bye-bye, thanks. Bye, Bye, thank you. And uh, just to remind you, this is uh, Kimberly Chow from Food Book Fair with special guest host Gabrielle Etienne signing off for recommended reading. Don't forget that we are hosted by the wonderful Heritage Radio Network, which is a nonprofit 
putting together, organizing, producing, bringing together more than 30 shows all about food, drink, and everything mm-hmm. in between. So don't forget to go to Heritage Radio's website, click on that beating heart, become a member, and support us as we keep producing this show, keep having conversations about pizza and eating pizza <laughs> on air, and many, many other great shows. Thanks so much, and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.